Well, once again, welcome everybody. And today I just put a little simple title on this message I'm going to share with you. And I've just called it a heart check. You know, sometimes you, you, things aren't right or you may even every year go to the doctor and just kind of have a checkup. Well, today we're going to have a checkup on your spiritual position or your spiritual heart. And uh, I would like to start in Haggai. Now, everybody knows where that is, right? It's like Malachi, which is the last of the Old Testament, and then two more books back, and you'll find Haggai. It's on page uh, 1,441 in my Bible. <laughs> All right. Chapter 1, verse 2. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying to his people, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So this is what God's people are saying. The people say it's not time for the Lord's house to be built. But 15 years before, they were in captivity in Babylon. And Cyprus, who became the king, he, he said all of God's people who want to return to go build the temple can go back and build the temple. About 50,000 people went at that time. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses in this temple to lie in ruin. He said, you know what you're doing? He says, you need to look at your heart. He said, because you're just taking care of yourself, but you're not taking care of the things of the kingdom of God. He's saying, check your priorities. I remember Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God. And there's so many things that can jump in there, a, a career, a job, relaxation, recreation, security that we would find in finances, sports, family. In fact, God was talking to them just about their house. He was talking about things that sideline them, keep them from fulfilling what God wants them to do. Now, now realize this, God, God created Adam and Eve and put them in this beautiful garden and all God wanted from them was fellowship. There, there was nobody to get saved, nobody to get delivered, nobody to witness to. How many of you know, realize all that God wanted with Adam and Eve was to fellowship with them. And the truth is, the number th one thing that God wants from you and from me is he wants relationship. He wants fellowship. That's what God wants from us. However, how many of you realize we're in a messed up world? And God's got some things, he, some purpose that he wants accomplished in this messed up world. And at least you think that the only reason that God loves you or wants you is that you do something you're wrong. The number one thing God wants from you is he wants fellowship. He wants relationship from you. However, because we're living in this fallen, messed up world, there's a lot of things that God wants done. And do you know, you and I are his hands and his feet. So Jesus in Matthew, excuse me, in Matthew, in Mark chapter four, he gives the parable of the sower. And he says, the sower, he goes out and he sows the word of the kingdom. I think it's interesting, the word of the kingdom. What God, is, what God wants on earth is the kingdom. Most Christians think God saved them to get them to heaven. That is not true. God saved you to get the kingdom in you now. That's God's purpose. He wants the kingdom. Jesus said, pray your kingdom come. Not dance till the kingdom come, but pray your kingdom 
come. And there's a description. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We think God's trying to get us to heaven. No, God's trying to get heaven in you. He's trying to get the kingdom in you now. Not when you die, but now today. So Jesus, as he's telling this parable, he says there's, there's things that sideline people. He said the, the, the gospel is preached. The word is sown in their hearts. But he said, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enters in and chokes the word. And it becomes unfruitful. It's interesting, as Jesus tells this parable, he has four different kinds of ground. And this is the person who receives it. This is the, the person who gets in church. This is the person who prays to receive the Lord. They've received the word. There's four different kinds of ground. Three of them produce no fruit. But then there's the last one that produces fruit. But here's what Jesus said size lines us. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enter in and they choke the word of God. Now, you've heard me say this before, but I'm just going to say it again. The kingdom of God only works one way. When you seek first the kingdom, that's the only time it'll work. It will not work as number two or number three or number four. And really, there's all these things that try to sideline us to get our focus off the kingdom, the cares of this world. Another translation says the worries, all the things, one translation says all the things we have and do. How many of you know every new thing you get, you got to take care of? Not that not, none of it's bad, but it's just something you've got to take care of and all the things that you want to do. He said, the cares of this world, not things that are bad, but things that are good things, that are right things, but yet they take and you, you, you begin to pursue them as the number one pursuit and purpose of your life instead of the kingdom of God. It can be a, your yard. It can be your bills. It can be your job, uh, your kids. I mean, no, kids are awesome. And grandkids are better. Just letting you know that. But, but, but God did not give you kids so that they would become the purpose and the focus, number one focus of your life. In fact, in Malachi 2, verse 15, it says the reason that he gave you children was because he seeks godly seed. He seeks godly seed. And I'm just going to say that I've known, I've known a few couples who do a good job with this. But what I've noticed in the last few decades is children's activities, sports, dance, music, whatever it is, can literally become the focus of a family instead of seeking first the kingdom of God and remembering the reason God gave me these kids was not so they could be like the world, but that they would be a godly seed. They'd be different than the world. None of those things are wrong, but they're wrong when they become our focus. When they become our focus, they're wrong. So Jesus said the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Now, the deceitfulness of riches comes to every person. You can be penniless or you can be a billionaire. And the deceitfulness of riches will try to come and talk to you. It will say, if you just had more, man, you'd be satisfied. If you just had more, man, you wouldn't hurt. If you just had more, you would be secure. 
If you just had more, people would envy you. If you just had more, you would not be empty on the inside. You would be somebody. You'd be safe. But when you make the pursuit of more the number one pursuit of your life, Jesus said it will choke God's word and it will literally produce no fruit. The desire for other things. What could that be? Well, that could be all sorts of things. Nothing bad. New car, new house, clothes, iPhone 10. I want one. I mean, all sorts of things. But when anything becomes the number one pursuit in your life, it's trouble. Somebody called it affluenza, a disease, keeping up with the Joneses, trying to have everything that they have and do everything that they do. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, God gives commands, and, and, and he's he, literally through Paul, he's talking to Timothy, who is pastor of the church at Ephesus, very affluent city, one of, one of the premier cities in the Roman Empire, a coastal city, lots of, of business, import, export, everything's going on. And he says, command those who are rich. Now, the, the thing about rich is nobody is. Everybody looks at somebody else and they're rich. But they look at themselves and they're not rich. Because you tend to look at what you don't have and not what you do have. But let me just say, if you live in the United States, you are rich. If you are on government subsidy, you live better than kings and pharaohs lived 2,000 years ago. And you may not think of yourself as rich, but you are. you got rich people problems. Your phone isn't working right. That's, that, that's a rich person problem. Your car needs new tires. That's a rich person problem. Listen, your car has its own house. And when the garage door isn't working, that's a rich person's problem. You see, you, you go to the closet and you open it up and it's full and you say, I have nothing to wear. That's a rich person problem. When you don't know which shoes to choose. That is a rich person problem. If, listen, if you have a roof over your head, if you have enough to eat today, you have more than 2 billion people on the face of the earth. If you've got more than one set of clothes to wear, you're better off than 2 billion people on the face of the earth. Command those who are rich. I want to turn to somebody and say, I'm rich. Because whether you realize it or not, you are. In this present age, not to be haughty, don't be proud about what you have. How many realize rich people have special problems? They can think they're better because of what they have. Just don't do that. Nor trust in uncertain riches. In uncertain riches. Now, in 1976... Uh, Jeannie and I, we, we graduated and, and we went to Mexico as missionaries. And when we got to Mexico, I could go to the bank with one American dollar and get back from them eight pesos. But by the time that we left seven years later, I would go to the bank with one American dollar and get 3,500 pesos. You say, what happened? Well, what we would, we would call their, their, their central bank began to print too much money to take care of their debts. 
And people stood in line and begged to borrow money at 130%. They couldn't, they wouldn't loan it to them at 130%. You might think you're secure with your money, but when the Bible says it's uncertain, it's uncertain. When we went to Mexico, a thousand peso bill was called a milagro, a miracle. That was the name. That's what they called them. They were, there was like, the, it was the miracle bill. By the time we left, it took a bunch of them to buy a loaf of bread. Yeah, things change. Things change. Uncertain riches. I, I remember when we went to, to, to Russia the first time. And uh, the official exchange rate was like one to one. But on the black market, you, you'd get like 20 to one. So we, we, we did a little black market stuff, made our, made our money go far. And in a very short period of time, things began to change. We, we took Rick Runner, I think it was in 89 that we took Rick, and he ended up staying there. And in 1991, I was back with Rick, and we went to check out Moscow, kind of spy out the land, which is where they eventually moved to. And uh, he wanted to get some gifts for his partners. So he got American money changed into Russian money. And we went to Arbuck Street, which was uh, kind of like the tourist area where you could get all sorts of tourist type stuff. And we went to buy stuff. I had two suitcases, suitcase full of 100 ruble notes, full. He's carrying grocery bags full of 100 ruble notes. I, I brought them back, got a couple 50s, got a hundred. And then in, in 1991, I, I spoke in Russia and uh, one of the people there came up afterwards and gave me what's a Russian silver dollar from 1801. And it says on it, not to us, not to us, but to you be the glory. Kind of like where we say, in God we trust. How many of you know that a nation can trust in God and cease to trust in God? And, and, and literally, I had these hundred ruble notes and I was carrying two massive suitcases full of them. And that's what it took to fill those two suitcases full of little trinkets to give to Rick's partners. It took probably close to a billion rubles. Ten years before, well, you could live on a ruble all day. But now, everything changed. We can think that finances are safe, but the Bible says they're uncertain. And, and, and don't think that, that, that what happens in other parts of the world could never happen here, because it really could. It says don't put your trust in uncertain riches. Do you know when your banker has ulcers, you can have peace? You can have peace because your trust isn't in money. Your trust is in God. Now, look, listen, this last part of this verse, who richly gives us all things to enjoy. Whatever God blesses you with, enjoy it. And, and I believe this. I believe that if you trust God, he will take better care of you than you will ever take care of yourself. He will take better care of you. He said, whatever I bless you with, he says, enjoy it. 
Don't feel guilty. Don't hide it. Enjoy it. And then he says, let them, that's us, do good. Let them be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Not to us, not to us, but to your name, give glory. Because of your mercy, the Bible says, because of your truth. In, in uh, Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story about an unjust steward. And then he gives the interpretation to his disciples, at least they misinterpret the parable that he tells them. And this is what he said to them. He said, I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail or when you die, they may receive you into everlasting homes or habitations. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying one of the purposes of money is for you to put it in the kingdom of God and to touch people's lives with that money. And what's going to happen, he said, in eternity, the people whose money you touched, who you fed, who you clothed, who you sent the gospel to, who were delivered because of the word that you sent, he said, they will receive you in heaven. All right. And they will be your friends. That's why I tell you, you need to jog because when you get to heaven, people are going to chase you down. There's going to be people that get saved in Africa and in China, in India and in Indonesia and in Saudi Arabia, all over the world because of what you sown, they get saved. And Jesus said, that's one of the purposes of money. And he said, relationships in heaven are going to be a little different than relationships here. And a lot of your relationships are going to be based on who you blessed and who you touched for eternity in heaven. I think that's awesome. Now, in Peter, Peter said this in 2 Peter chapter 3. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away. Now, when the Bible says the heavens, it's not talking about the place God lives. It's not even talking about outer space. But it's talking about what the Bible refers to as the first heaven. The Bible says the heavens z -z -z -z, declare the glory of God. Right? The first heaven we call the atmosphere. The second heaven we call outer space. And the third heaven is what God refers to as paradise or what we would call heaven. The apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, said he went to the third heaven. He saw and heard things that was not even lawful for him to say. So the day of the Lord will come to the thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away. And it's talking about the atmosphere. It'll pass away with a great noise or it will explode. And the elements will melt in fervent heat. Other translations say that every element on planet earth will melt. So, so the world as we know it is going to disappear. And of course, and then in the book of Revelations, it says God's going to make a brand new atmosphere, a brand new earth. But they're going to be destroyed and the element, elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since these things will be dissolved, your car, your house, your favorite golf clubs, my fishing pole, what manner of persons Ought you to be in holy conduct 
and godliness. He says, because everything that we see right now is temporary, it is going to burn, it's going to melt, it's going to disappear. He said, how should you then live? How should you live knowing that? Every natural thing that you have, that your money, use your money to purchase, is going to be destroyed one day. It doesn't matter how much you have in this life. Somebody may be someone you greatly admire, but the day is going to come when everything that they have will dissolve. Some put their trust in money, but what the Bible is telling us we need to do is we need to trust God and we need to use a portion of the finances that God gives us to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God goes on in Haggai through the prophet. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, bring wood and build the temple that I may have pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but indeed it came to little. So when you brought it home, I blew on it. Why, says the Lord? Because of my house that's in ruin. Because every one of you runs to his own house. That, that, that part, everyone just runs to their own house. He's saying, look. He said, the kingdom of God is in need and all you do is focusing on yourself. God says, that's the wrong thing to focus on. You need to focus, first of all, on the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. Right? With the kingdom, there is an opportunity to do something significant, something really subsequential, something that is going to last for all of eternity. What would it profit a Christian if all his prayers were answered? Somebody says, what do I need to do? The first thing I would say to do is pray. Pray your kingdom come, your will be done. But I want to ask you, if all your prayers answered, what would change? You'd have a nice house, an abundant income. You'd have, all, you'd have blessings galore. But would the world change? Would the kingdom come if all of your prayers were answered? Second thing I want to mention is time. Give time. Give time to the kingdom. Volunteer. Get involved. It's in Romans chapter 12 where it says, Don't let your enthusiasm wane. Be spiritually alive, binding yourself to the Lord in service. Don't let your spiritual enthusiasm wane. Be spiritually alive, binding yourself to the Lord in service. I want you to look at me. You will never, never have a successful Christian life without service. Without service. You say, what does that mean? That means you need to find a way to systematically, to regularly serve in the kingdom of God. Now, you can do it at church. There can be another place that you do it. I, I know personally, uh, I, I'm on a regular rotation down at one of the rescue missions, downtown Grand Rapids, because I want to do something that is not connected with my work, and my work is here. Right? I want to do something that's not connected with my work. I want to do something where I'm a volunteer, where I'm giving my time, my passion, my talent into something. And the Bible says you cannot 
keep your spiritual enthusiasm alive without service, binding yourself to the Lord in service. Now, you, you might think you don't have time, but you do have time. I love Proverbs 3. It says, my son, don't forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace, they'll add to you. Length of days, long life and peace. Long life is not the same as length of days. Length of days is when God blesses your day so you get more done. He said, if you will do what I tell you to do, he said, I will bless your day and you will accomplish more and not less. So we need to give our time. We need to give our talent into the kingdom of God. And we miss you if you don't. How many ever put together one of them big puzzles? You know, like a thousand pieces. And then you've got it done. And there's three pieces missing. I mean, it like drives you crazy. That's like in the kingdom of God when everybody's supposed to be doing something and they're not. We miss you. The kingdom misses you. Every piece has an important something to give. Lastly, your treasure. It's an opportunity to take something that's temporal, something that's going to perish, and sow it, and literally it becomes eternal. Jesus said, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust corrupt, where thieves do not break in and steal. And, and literally the subject here, it's money. Just a few verses later, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one, despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. He says, take of your treasure that's temporal, that's going to literally at some point be destroyed and be gone and sow it into the kingdom of God. It becomes eternal. Jesus said it touches people's lives and those lives are going to be connected to you for all of eternity. We have got one chance to serve Jesus before he comes. And then we're going to go to heaven forever. And one of the things you are never going to see in heaven is there is never going to be an opportunity to win somebody to Jesus once you get to heaven. There's never going to be an opportunity to help somebody get delivered when you get to heaven. There's never going to be an opportunity to sow into the kingdom of God for lives to be changed again when we get to heaven. This is our chance to touch people's lives for all of eternity. When we get to heaven, we'll have all of eternity to talk about our victories that we have here on earth. But we've only got a very short period of time now to win those victories. This is not the dress rehearsal. Jesus said it this way. He said, I must be about my father's business. And for you and I, the kingdom, that's his business. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I just want to, as I've been having a heart check this week, I want you to have a heart check and just say, am I putting the kingdom first? Is I need to put the kingdom first? Is his kingdom coming because of my life, because of what I do, my focus, my priorities, my time, my talent, and my treasure? Because God wants that to happen. Again, that's not his number one purpose for you. His number one purpose is fellowship. But his heart, Jesus said it this way. He said, 
I have come to seek and save that which was lost. That's why Jesus came. And he wants us to prioritize the kingdom, to build the church, to seek and save that which is lost with our time, with our talent, our energy, and with our treasure. So would you bow your heads for just a moment? Lord, I pray that the word is sown into these hearts, Father. I pray that it will produce fruit in each and every one of our lives. Father, I pray that you make it abundantly clear to each one of us. What's our next step? What is our next step to bring the kingdom, Lord, to build the church, to touch lives, to sow what is temporal, that it become eternal. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to receive that heart for the kingdom offering right now. Uh, And if you're not prepared today at any time during the month, if you just take your envelope, write heart for the kingdom on there. Now, for some people, $100 is going to be absolutely huge. But for other people, $10,000 isn't huge. Pray, get a word from God, uh, whether it's or a million. I would really like a couple million this year. (laughs) Don't laugh. I'm serious. I am serious. There's people that you could could write a check and you would not know. You you would not miss it. You would not miss it. It would not affect your lifestyle one bit. But it would make a difference in people's lives for eternity. So I'm I'm absolutely serious. Do something that is significant for you. Well, Father, we love you. We love your kingdom. And Father, we count it a privilege to sow into the kingdom of God, for lives to be touched, destinies changed for all of eternity. And we thank you, Father, that as we build your house, like you told the people of Israel through Haggai the prophet, That as they built your house, you would build their house. And we thank you, Father, that as we sow, lives are changed for eternity. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.